Welcome back to Millennial Mental Health. I'm your host, Stephanie Contra-O'Hara, licensed professional counselor, and I have with me here today Dr. Nicola Dellinger, who's a naturopath doctor and hoping to learn more about what she has to offer and all of her insights into self-care, IFS, and some other topics that we'll explore today. Hi, well, thanks for hosting. Um, so like you said, my name is Dr. Nicola Dellinger, and I'm a naturopathic doctor down in Durango, Colorado. I'm saying down because I know you're up from me. Um, and um, yeah, I have a practice called Pura Vida Healthcare. And basically, um, I'm excited to talk to you today because a lot of what I do is work with people who have all sorts of acute or chronic diseases, you know, high blood pressure, digestive issues, hormone imbalance, that sort of stuff. But when we get to sitting down together, really what I'm treating is stress, um, stress, anxiety, overwhelm, you know, um, that sort of thing. So I just wanted to, you know, appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about how the body is really, when it's manifesting symptoms, be they physical, mental, or emotional, it could really, if we listen to it in a different way, it can really be our guidepost, how to get back to balance, get back to ourselves, rather than something we have to fight against. Yeah. And I think there's this really interesting movement that I've been seeing here recently. We're talking about anxiety and mental health issues as like this more holistic um, treatment modality rather than, oh, like there's something wrong with your brain that we need to fix, right? It's like, yeah. how do we change everything about your life? So I imagine when you're focusing on all of those aspects, you can really make long lasting changes rather than, okay, here's some like quick ways to talk yourself out of being anxious, or here's some <laughs> quick medication for you to take to stop being anxious. It yeah. really takes much more than that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we're starting to understand that more, you know, even the idea of this, um, neurotransmitters, your know, neurotransmitters being serotonin and dopamine and that sort of stuff. Um, but they're called neurotransmitters, not because they're primarily found in the brain, but because they were first discovered in the brain. So most of our neurotransmitters are in our gut. So when we have digestive issues and that sort of stuff that can really impact our mental health, um, our mental, you know, resilience, our well-being, our cognition, you know, having kind of furry head or just not really feeling sharp anymore. Um, and just understanding that connection between what we're eating and how we're digesting and how that might be impacting our mental health too. Yeah, I was hoping you could maybe talk a little bit more about gut health and how that there's neurotransmitters in the gut. I know some about that. And I don't mm. think we've had anyone on here to talk about that a little bit more in depth. So yeah, I'm curious if you could maybe yeah, explain a little bit more for maybe the unknowledgeable listener. <laughs> Great. Hopefully we're all unknowledgeable and that's why we're here. I'm like, I'm like, I'm gonna flow with unknowledgeable. I really like that. Um, it's fun to say. You guys should say it if you're at home listening to this or wherever you are. Unknowledgeable. Anywho, um, so to, to drop some knowledgeable. Um, <laughs> um, we just won't roll with it. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. I, I'm just not going to let it die. Um, 
Yeah, so we have, so most of our neurotransmitters are are created and live in the gut. And that's why when we start something like an antidepressant and our SSRI, like, you know, Prozac, Wellbutrin, most of the side effects are gut related. They're nausea or appetite changes or weight gain or loss or um, that sort of thing. And people are like, why? Or they're not, they don't actually don't ask why. They're just like, oh, it's just, you just get nauseous when you start this med, but it should go away in two to three months. And um, it's having the primary impact on your gut. And so, the, and the other thing to realize too, is that I'm going to use my hands, even though I know you can't see me. Um, so in our gut is um, the cells next to each other are supposed to be what's called a tight junction. It means they're supposed to be really smushed up against each other. And when we have inflammation in our gut, because we're stressed, or because we're eating a food that we're sensitive to, and it doesn't have to be like a throat closing up kind of reaction, and it doesn't have to be like a diarrhea kind of reaction. It could be really a lot more subtle than that. What happens is that there's more and more space between the cells in your gut, and so that allows proteins that should stay in the lumen or the tube of your gut, and it allows um, proteins to get out from the lumen and 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 scooch in between those cells, and then um, roll around in your bloodstream. And so depending on what I would call a quote unquote weaker area of your body, um, those proteins can deposit and cause migraines or joint pain or insomnia or depression or, you know, fill in the blank. Um, Autoimmune is another big one. Um, And so really getting our gut health going um, is really, really important because we are synthesizing a lot of our neurochemistry in there. We're synthesizing a lot of our probiotics, which we now understand have a really big impact on our um, mental health as well. And um, we have an what's it called an enteric or fancy word for gut nervous system. And that nervous system is actually the seat of the parasympathetic or the rest, digest and heal part of our nervous system. And so um, when we and when that part of our body is stimulated, we're kind of physiologically attuned to not having as much parasympathetic resources on board. And then also when we're stressed out and the brain's like danger, danger, stress, stress, things are bad, things are happening. That goes ahead and triggers that that gut system to not be in its optimal nervous system state. And so we kind of have this negative feedback system happening between the brain and your gut and the brain in your head. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of connection and dysregulation there. The other thing I want to mention about stress is that cortisol is our primary stress hormone. And so that's our primary hormone that gets um, triggered when we're in that fight, flight, or freeze response. But what people forget is that cortisol is also the primary regulator of inflammation. Um, And so we think about hydrocortisone or corticosteroids, you know, so these are pretty heavy hitting medications that we can take or put on our body to suppress um, an inflammatory response. Well, if you think about evolutionarily, what's more important to respond to a stressor or to deal with a, a bum knee? Well, it's, you don't want to get eaten by the saber toothed tiger. And so we're going to, we're going to preferentially push that cortisol down the stress pathway. And that leaves less cortisol to help regulate and maintain a healthy inflammatory system in your body. And so people like in our, again, in our culture is anti-inflammatory. What's anti-inflammatory diet and anti-inflammatory herbs. And, um, but inflammation is actually one of the coolest things our body does. It's an arm of our immune system. And it's really actually quite awesome. But it's when I believe that because we are living in a culture that is so heavy on stress and that sympathetic nervous system, that we're 
where we have dysregulation in our inflammatory system, and that's what's causing 99.9% of chronic disease. That's so interesting. I've had clients come in and tell me that they've seen other providers that have like measured their cortisol levels and they have like chronically high cortisol levels um, and how much that impacts like almost every aspect of their life. Like their sleep is impacted. Um, They have sometimes autoimmune diseases that are interacting with their cortisol levels. Mm -hmm. Um, PTSD seems to be a pretty common thing that I've seen people tell me they have really high cortisol levels. It's, it's really interesting how, again, like not to bash mental health providers, because since I am one myself, (laughs) we don't learn about in school, like these types of things. We don't learn about cortisol. We don't learn about we learn a little bit about like neurotransmitters and stuff like that, but not how it impacts like the whole body, just how it's impacting the brain. And I feel like it's such like an isolated message that we're taught in, in grad school, at least in my program. Um, I can't speak for all programs, obviously. Um, but there's so much more to know about mental health and about the chemicals in our body. And we're just kind of, again, I don't know why it's just not even talked about. So all this stuff is like so fascinating and everything that I've learned about it after has happened after grad school, like none of it occurred like in my program. So I really think if I don't know about it as a mental health counselor, like how does everybody else know about it? Right. Like it's definitely information that needs to get out there because it does impact the whole body. And I don't know how much, again, I don't want to bash Western medicine, but how much Western medicine is talking about these like connections. And sometimes, you know, I have clients who come to me and say, oh, my doctor said that, you know, my stress is related to my gut issues, but I feel like my gut issues are related to my stress. And I don't know which one came first and I can try to treat both, but, you know, I don't really know how to proceed. So I guess I'm curious, like, what would you encourage a client in that situation where a doctor's kind of telling them, just manage your stress and your gut will be better? Punch your doctor in the face. No, <laughs> um, because I, 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 well, that's such a good question and there's so many layers to it, but really, I mean, unfortunately, just to speak to our healthcare system, I don't think it's the providers being bad people or like just blow up blow offish. How's that for another random word back at you? Um, I, I don't think it's intentional, but our, our managed care system doesn't really allow for them to speak to you more, even if they had that education or that knowledge base. And um, it's hard to make referrals for folks within the insurance realm to folks outside of the insurance realm, because we worry about money and resources and, you know, staying within um, this medical code of, you know, um, standard of care is the word I'm looking for. And so they, they are taking a risk um, referring outside of their standard of care as well. So between seeing 40 to 50 people a day, not really knowing our patients real well anymore when we're in that system, you know, I spend an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes with a new patient um, in my initials because I don't know how to get all the information otherwise. I don't know how to, I don't know how to do that in eight minutes. Um, and I know I would be missing something even if I went as fast as I possibly could. So I just want to speak to just the providers, like and say, 
we know you're doing your best and we know we're in a really broken system. And I think that's costing not only the patient, but also the providers. I think there's a lot of lack of fulfillment and we're seeing that in that's post-COVID burnout scenario. Um, so going back to your, your client, you know, where do you start? I think if you can start simultaneously, that's most ideal. But I think um, it is a chicken or the egg thing. And they do start having this reciprocal impact on one another. And so when I, when somebody says, just manage your stress better, and that's why I was like, punch them in the face. Because I'm like, this we're in a culture where stress is not only the norm, but it's actually expected. You know, like a Monday morning, it's like, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I did this, this, and this. You know, and if you say, oh, I just, you know, kind of did nothing. It's like, oh, what's wrong with you? Do you not have any friends or, you know, what's going on? It's like, no, I just wanted to do nothing. We really don't value rest in our culture anymore. And so when we say manage the stress, it's not so much about you're mismanaging your life and need to do it better. It's more about how can you relate to your circumstances in a different way? You know, how can you tend to, and I'm going to use the internal family systems language here, how can you tend to the parts of you who get triggered because so-and-so at the office um, or in the work environment isn't, doesn't, maybe not mean to you, but doesn't like you and is, is just blowing you off or ignoring you. And that triggers something within you that you're not looking at. And so then rather than look at and be with, with kind of this presence and compassion and like, oh, that stinks when you get ignored by somebody that's, that nobody likes that, doesn't feel very good. We, we don't slow down to listen to it. We get, we, but we, so we cue into the mind, how do we fix it? And so we either make up stories about that other person, <laughs> judge and blame them, or maybe we work extra hard and we bake cookies and do all the things to like get that person to like us. Or maybe we go into our stories around how nobody's ever really loved us and nobody gets us. And, and, and so, it, but it all drives more anxiety. And so um, I would just start noticing when anxiety comes up or mental health questions come up rather than going into the mind of what do I do to fix this or change this, or this means that I'm broken in these six ways. Um, what if you were to just kind of breathe the 18 inches from your head to your heart and just make, just use your breath literally to create more space in your body and just maybe just take three breaths and be like, wow, I am anxious right now. My brain is on overdrive. <sighs> okay. You know, and then, and then the mind's like, and that means X, Y, and Z about yourself. And it's like, oh, I hear that too. I hear the anxiety about the anxiety. Okay. You know, and maybe just maybe we get to a point where we can be curious. Hey, tell me more about that. What worries you about being worried? Well, I don't want to seem neurotic. And my mom had anxiety and she really struggled. And, and it's like, oh, OK, so that was hard for you as a kid. Yeah, it was. And all of a sudden we can start doing this work with ourselves if we can just slow down enough to listen from our, our place in our heart rather than be in this um, very fast-paced doer mode of problem-solving, fixing, um, analyzing, solving, because all that inherent message underneath that is you're broken, something's wrong, something needs to be fixed. And that's what we're feeding ourselves. And then that makes us very uncomfortable in our own skin. Yeah, I feel like that message of something's wrong with me is so commonly 
something that I hear in a you know, variety of different ways, but I need to do this differently. I need to do that differently. This person's telling me this is wrong with me. This person's telling me that's wrong with me. I need to please this person. I need to work harder. It's like, well, what if you just were? Like, what if you just were still? What if you paid attention to how you're feeling in situations? What if you just honored yourself rather than worrying about what there is to improve or fix or do differently? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what if, what if there wasn't anything to worry about? You know, and what if you were okay? And what if you knew that not because you're getting that externally validated from other people or outside, you know, outside achievements, but what if you just were able to tell yourself that's enough? And I wonder if how many people are listening, like, how do you know inside yourself when you've done enough in a day, you know, or, or when you have quote unquote earned a rest or vacation? Um, and, and how many of us take vacations where we're not working, where we're not plugged into email, or I'm just going to check this one thing real quick, or, um, you know, where we live in a culture that has come to expect that. And, um, and we also, especially with social media, we're really looking outside of ourselves for validation, worthiness, and love. And, um, I think that's making us very neurotic and very unfulfilled and very anxious and depressed. Yeah, I definitely think just the message of like everyone is inherently worthy and everybody is inherently like lovable and just like knowing that and feeling that could be such a game changer for a lot of people and an act of self-care, you know, tying that back in. You don't have to do things for self-care. You could just practice feeling worthy and practice feeling like lovable without doing anything. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And having that and having doing something that pleases you, you know, inviting in more pleasure, you know, I'm I'm wearing this because I like how it feels on my skin, not because it's the trendiest, whatever, and the newest, whatever. Um, You know, I think we all have that the softest shirt or sweater that we'll never, ever get rid of, no matter how threadbare it is, um, because it feels good, right? And, um, and again, that goes back to like eating and digestive health. And I think so many of us, um, you know, so if there's digestive issue going back to the thing you were talking about before, you know, there's simple things like taking three breaths into the belly before eating to kind of try to switch the nervous system over to parasympathetic so we can receive the food physiologically with, with more resources. Um, there's, you know, eating and paying attention to the fact that we're eating. Um, we are a very highly sensory being. So smelling food, seeing food, um, those are important things to kind of get us salivating. When we salivate, there's something called amylase in your saliva that helps to break down carbohydrates. When we swallow that, it stimulates the stomach to get hydrochloric acid going so we can digest protein. And then that goes on down the liver to bile and then goes on down to the pancreas to the rest of our digestive enzymes. And so if we don't have that domino effect because we weren't preparing our food and we grab something to go and then we're eating it in front of our computer or our television or driving in the car or wherever we're shoving food down our gullet so we don't pass out, not because we're allowing ourselves to have this pleasurable, sensual experience of food, which is really one of the only things we do on the daily that allows us to use all five of our senses, you know, touch, we smell it, we see it, we taste it, and we feel it. Um, and we, 
I'm forgetting on C here, touch, smell, taste. Anyway. I um, all, yeah, all, <laughs> all five. <laughs> um, but we blow that off, you know, and that becomes something that's just a function that we have to do. And then we wonder why we're not digesting well. So uh, for your person, I would say, what if stress management, or, or I would call st relating to stress differently, was the same as treating your gut issues, which is I'm going to slow down while I'm eating. I'm going to pay attention to what I'm eating. I'm going to connect into those foods that maybe when I eat that, I know I don't feel as good, even though I don't want to admit it because I love cheese or whatever. That's cheese is my thing. Um, you know, like I love cheese, so I'm just not going to acknowledge that this makes me feel crummy or I don't poop for three days or I get gassy or that's when the bloating comes or whatever. And so we just start noticing. So I have a lot of new patients that come in and they're like, I know you're going to take away all my favorite foods. So I've been eating gluten and dairy and drinking a ton of alcohol and I've just been hitting it because I know you're going to take away everything I love. And I'm like, I will never do that because you'll be so stressed that you can't go to the potluck and you can't eat your favorite food and Thanksgiving is going to be a nightmare. And, you know, it's like, okay, let's not do that because stressing you out is not actually a direction of health. So it's kind of about putting the mind and body back together so that, you know, um, relating to your stress differently and treating your gut symptoms become the same thing. Yeah, I've had some clients mention like going on an anti-inflammatory diet and how restrictive that feels. And I'm like, well, there's got to be some balance. Like I'm not a doctor by any means. That's usually what I start off saying. I'm, I'm no doctor, but there's got to be some balance that could be struck here rather than feeling like you can't eat anything, like you said, at Thanksgiving or on vacation or places where maybe foods that you would normally try to eat more of aren't readily available. Yep, exactly. And there is, there all, there always is. And it depends on our intention. You know, sometimes we do, we want to take out a whole gamut of food all at once so that we can um, take it out for 30 days, for example, as a typical elimination diet or an anti-inflammatory diet, just depends on the ingredients you're pulling. And then you reintroduce them one at a time. Um, so for some people that works because they can move through it a little faster. Some people are like, what's the one thing that you want me to take out? And let's start there. And, and that's okay too. And for some people I'm like, can we just start with drinking some more water? You know, because if you're not getting it hydrated enough, you know, most people wake up and the first liquid they have is their coffee. And again, there's nothing wrong with coffee in the morning, but there's ways to make it more healthful and that is why i have people put a, a big pint glass of water on their bedside table before your hit you know before your feet hit the ground chug down that pint of water then go to use the bathroom do whatever you're doing while you're making your coffee or your tea or whatever your morning ritual is have another pint of water this one maybe you put some lemon in it and just have another glass of water and now you're starting your day from a place of hydration and now you're just maintaining rather than starting with coffee and then, which is a diuretic, which means that it's dehydrating after not having water for six, eight, 10 hours, depending on when you, because a lot of people stop drinking fluids before bed because they don't want to get up to pee. So some people are going more than half their day without consuming any sort of non-caffeinated, non-alcoholic water. 
Um, and then I'm like, okay. And so then there's coffee. Coffee's got caffeine in it, which kicks that cortisol in, which is why people like it. Um, so maybe could you have coffee with a little something to eat? You know, well, I'm not hungry because for breakfast. Well, co coffee, caffeine's also an appetite suppressant. So maybe you are hungry, but you're just shutting off that signal. And again, you don't like a big breakfast, cool. Could you have half an, half an almond with some, an apple with some almond butter? Could you have a little chia pudding? Could you have, um, you know, a little tiny cup of soup that you like? I love soup for breakfast in the mornings, especially in the winter. You know, so how do we like make it more palatable um, so that it doesn't feel like I'm doing this thing, I hate this thing, I'm restricted and my life sucks? You know, it's like nobody wants to do that. Um, and and if somebody is entering into that diet, I want to remind them why they're choosing it, what their goals are, that this is a choice, that they don't have to do it. There is another way. Um, I look have them look at timing. So I kind of stop making dietary recommendations right around the end of October because we're traveling, there's holidays, it's winter, there's not as much fresh food, there's so many reasons. And I'm like, can we just table this conversation until like January 15th? Like, but I know I need a diet. And I'm like, I know, but the wheels are going to fall off and you're going to be bummed. And, you know, so just looking at right timing as well. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to remind people too, that having a change in your life is something that's done like incrementally, not just supposed to like rip off the bandaid and do something different. Totally. I often like to tell clients like it didn't, if you're, let's say you're 40 and you're coming to therapy for the first time, or maybe coming to see you for the first time, you didn't get to this place overnight. You've had 40 years to, to arrive at where you're at. And it may take some time to do something different because you've been doing something very similarly for the past 40 years. Yeah. And to be gentle with yourself that you don't have to move mountains, you know, week one or month one. Yep. Yep. I know. I tell people when I was in med school, my daily snack was a Snickers and a can of Coke. And that's what I had every day because I needed the sugar and the caffeine to just get through. And I look back at that now. I'm like, wow, that's really different <laughs> than where I'm at now. But I still have goals for myself. Like ferment, eating more fermented foods has been on my list of dietary things I'm trying to change for like three years. And I'm not there. It's, they, they, it, they're just not getting in very often. And, um, and making my own salad dressing. That was the other one that I was playing with. Um, and sometimes I do. And sometimes I don't. I always have bottles of it back up. But, you know, so we can always be tweaking our diet. And I've been doing this 25 years. You know, it's, it's not. So, yeah. So it is. It's an evolution. It's a spectrum. And, you know, I tell people, like, when they do a diet diary, which, P.S., I hate doing. Nobody likes writing down what they eat and drink every day. It's embarrassing. We're, we're embarrassed. It's, we don't eat as many vegetables as we think. We're, we, we are, you know, eating more sugar than we thought. think, you know, all the things. Fine. Great. You're a human. I'm a human. Let's just write it down. Primarily so that you can see trends and patterns around, like, oh, now that I write it down, I realize I'm not eating as many vegetables as I thought I was in my head. Maybe I could, um, you know, throw in some peppers and mushrooms into my eggs in the morning. You know, maybe I could have a side salad or maybe I could whatever, whatever, you know, cut up some carrots and have that instead of crackers with my hummus. What it doesn't matter. But it's really about looking at patterns and trends so that you can 
then make these incremental changes. And I'll have people look at their diet diary and I'll be like, okay, what are two or three things that you notice? And they write down those two or three things. And I'm like, which would be the easiest to change? And they're like, oh, this one. I'm like, great, start there. Really? That doesn't seem very hard. I'm like, exactly. You want to start with the gold stars out of the gate and then like move to what actually feels like a challenge. You want some wins. We want to feel successful. We don't want to end up like self-flagellating with our wellness plan. Like that's just, it's, it's doomed. So yeah. make it easy, make it accessible, make it fun and make it your choice. Make it be what you want to be doing. Yeah. Remove the shame out of it. I know a lot of people have shame around their lifestyle as far as like how much they sleep or how much they drink or how much they eat of this thing or don't eat of that thing. And just being again, like this gentle approach and starting with the things that maybe feel like, you know, easy, I think is a good place to start. Especially if you're struggling with mental health stuff, you know, especially if anxiety or depression or insomnia or whatever, OCD or bipolar or any of that stuff on board, you know, some days are just harder. And, um, and so that's where just having some things maybe prepped, you know, so again, I go back to soup a lot because we can throw in a lot of nutrient dense food into a soup um, that tastes good, that's easy. And I take the little almond butter containers like from the grocery store and I just save all those. And then I just put soup in those because it's like a single serving and I stick those in the freezer. And on days where I just cannot deal with prepping food and they're especially recently, they're more often than not, you know, (laughs) it's like, oh, there's already soup and it's got some protein. It's got some veg. It tastes good. I can heat up on the stove or put it in the microwave and it's super easy. Um, You know, so it's having some of those just backup ideas. And maybe that means that you buy baby carrots instead of carrots you have to peel and chop and all the things. Or maybe you buy a pre-bagged salad. Um, because you don't want to deal with chopping stuff. And like, and again, we, like you said, we have that shame response of like, how ridiculous is it that I don't want to chop a carrot? And it's like, call it what it is. If you don't want to slice it, you don't want to slice it. So get a bag, get a pre-bagged and just call it easy. And um, so I think that we can start utilizing convenience to improve our health rather than um, deteriorate our health like it has been doing for the past 40 years. Yeah. I'm curious, um, I know your focus is really on like high stress, career driven, like achieving women. What do you see as something that is like the feedback that you get when they start trying to make some of these changes and what is kind of like the, I guess, like the end goal for a lot of people. I'm just kind of curious what you experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the, I think there's two things. One is the the biggest thing that I see is the surprise that I didn't realize that this relatively innocuous thing that I was doing every day had such a big impact on my overall health, be that water or going to bed a little earlier or screen time or um, movement or breathing into the belly or whatever, the small little, this the small little things. It's not this giant, like you said, it's not this giant leap into, well, now I only eat keto and I'm doing this thing, you know, and it's like, cool, that, that might work for you. Awesome. That that works. That's great. But it's more these small incremental changes that have these huge impacts. So because we've been doing that, whatever we've been doing or not doing for five, 10, 15, 20 years, we stop paying attention that that's 
that's important. And so I think going the impact of the basics um, is is probably what I see the most. And then also the once the other thing that I would say is that once we start changing our relationship to ourselves and how we talk to ourselves and having more curiosity, like I was talking about before, like, huh, critic, tell me more about that. Or like, wow, you're being so judgmental. Like, you know, like what's really the intention there? And it's like, well, my real intention is to keep you safe because the last time, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh, you know, realizing that we're actually on our own side and that um, that anxiety and depression are actually caused when there's a disconnect between what's here and what we think should be here. And so it's, it's really a question of, looking at what our expectations are and what, what we think should be happening and then utilizing, um, you know, again, presence and compassion to, to just create more space for what is here and how am I gonna, how am I gonna be with that? Because I think when we talk about stress management, the vast majority of stress management is how do I get okay with what's here rather than, than fighting against it and utilizing so much of our energy to be in resistance to what's in front of us because it shouldn't be that I worked too hard. That wasn't what I expected. I thought if I did this thing and did it perfect, that I would receive this outcome. And when we don't receive that outcome, we are freaked out. Um, Or that when we check all the boxes that we've been sold as a culture, that when we reach the pinnacle or we reach our highest achievement or we reach the goal, that we're not actually fulfilled in the way we thought we were going to be. And that's going to require some internal work around how do we fulfill and um, sustain our own well-being that's more internally driven rather than externally driven. And what is really important to us and what might be really important to me may not be really important to you, but that doesn't invalidate your priorities or my priorities. It just means they're different. And we have, especially in the past, I don't know, two to four years, become increasingly more and more intolerant of someone who has priorities or values different than our own. And I think that's because we are no longer grounded in ourselves. Um, And so if you have a different point of view than me, then that's a threat because now I have, I don't really know why I like that thing or why I believe in this thing. Um, And so really just coming home and grounding in yourself and giving yourself um, freedom to inhabit your own space fully and then giving everybody else permission to do the same. Yeah, there's a few things that you mentioned that I think really struck me that I talk about often with people is to be authentic to themselves and to not abandon themselves because every time you make a choice to please another person or to fill some sort of like societal expectation of yourself or do something that doesn't really ultimately make you happy, you're like leaving yourself, you're abandoning abandoning yourself. And when you're most likely, when you're most fulfilled and happy is like when you're not doing that, when you're listening to what your internal voice is saying about what you want and what you need and what you love rather than feeling that judgment about those things. And being Mm -hmm. curious to me is like the opposite of judgment. So each time you find yourself practicing curiosity, you are moving further away from judging yourself, judging others, 
And just to keep that like open mind and to be curious about the world and yourself and how you're interacting with the world, I think it will lead people to feeling more fulfilled and happy rather than being in that judgmental space. Yeah, it was beautifully said. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for being on. Where can people find you? Sure. So I've got um, a couple of websites. One is Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R Nicola, N-I-C-O-L-A dot com. And the other is Pura Vida, P-U-R-A-V-I-D-A healthcare dot com. Um, I'm on social media at Dr. Nicola N-D um, on Instagram and then on Facebook it's um, there's Dr. Nicola, and then I have a, a group called Connectivity. So that's nice to connect with other people who are on a similar path. So, and then I've got a YouTube channel. So, yeah, I'd love to connect. I'm um, running a retreat in Costa Rica in May 2023. Um, I want to get into doing more retreats because I think what we were talking about today, right, is that these these everyday pressures and demands make it very hard for us to get still enough to connect in with ourselves, with source, the divine, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I think that really is the path to healing and ease and expansion and alignment and just feeling lighter. Um, and I think we could all use a little more levity. I think we, things have gotten pretty heavy here um, for a variety of reasons in, in the good old US of A. And, um, and I think if we could bring some more lightness um, into our own bodies um, that would also serve humanity. Well, thank you so much for being on again. And we'll have uh, Dr. Nicola Dallinger. Nailed it. <laughs> Information in the show notes um, as well, if you didn't have a chance to write all of that down. So thank you so much for tuning in and uh, hope you come back next time.